0: Welcome to the Five Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen. Coming up on this episode, we are discussing Ridley Scott's The Duelists in lieu of his most recent released film, The Last Duel. Once again, I'm joined with Ted Hagrat. Hey, it's me again. Hey, it's Ted. How's it going, Ted?
1: Uh, uh
0: busy, busy. You, you uh you want me to rattle off of what I've what'd you watch this week?
1: Well, since I think with the last time we talked here on the podcast, I think uh, I saw I watched Die Another Day of all things. One of the you Pierce Bronson. Why? Runs.
0: I well, you know, I watched Casino Royale after we recorded. I, I know I've been in
1: a kind of else. a weird bond. I was watching bits and pieces of Moonraker of all things, believe it or not. So yeah. How was that?
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's it, it's it is what it is. You know, uh, I, I was complaining because uh, Prime didn't have a Bond ready for whenever No Time to Die came out, and so that was the reason I watched mine.
1: Oh yeah, so I was just kind of, I've been kind of watching little extras and bits and pieces of Bond. Then I went on a streak here. It's like uh, I saw uh, uh, the Jesus music. I saw Lamb. Uh,
0: uh, I, we, we both saw Lamb.
1: Elvira's Haunted
0: House. Should we talk about Lamb real quick before?
1: Well, let me, me, me read out these, and then we'll okay. get Okay. Uh, You're
0: trying to get through the list. Yeah,
1: trying to get through the list. Elvira's Haunted House. It's directed by our, our buddy, Sam Orvin.
0: Yeah, from the, uh, the Fury episode.
1: Right. Uh, then uh, it was The Last Duel. Then it was Dune. Mm-hmm. And then it was... Um, uh, the uh, the do oh the Tom Petty documentary. The new one. The Bogdanovich one or the one no after the new that? the brand new one that's out in theaters. It, I, it played two nights here.
0: Oh, at, I didn't even know there WC. was a new one. It's
1: about the making of the the the, the album, the uh, flowers. Uh, what's it wildflowers. Called? Yeah, it's about the making of the wildflowers. They found all this sixty millimeter footage.
0: Is Dave Grohl in it?
1: Uh, no, um, no.
0: Because oh. no, uh, he wasn't on the album, he was on yeah. the he was on the touring group.
1: No, uh, they you know they talked about Stan Lynch leaving in the, in the new drummer okay. on there. But yeah, that played at AMC like two nights. Uh, one uh, that was it, and then uh, the, then the duelist, and then uh, last night I was with uh, over in Owensboro seeing the latest movie by the Greg Sesto Sir,
0: over the room,
1: uh, the room guy, not not Tommy, but Greg. All right. he's got a new film. It's a horror film, and he was over, uh, and Greg was there. To talk about it, and then there's a girl from Owensboro that's in the film, so it was uh, interesting. How is that? It's it's promising. I, I was, I, I it had an interesting uh, I thought the interesting mix of science fiction ish kind of thing with a gothic feel, but it's your, your typical horror slasher film. Uh, and it's picking the festival rounds now. Oh, I like. hi, Greg.
0: Um,
1: so do we do, um, so like, Lamb, you want to go back to Lamb,
0: yeah. Um <laughs> Well, I saw I saw it in Nashville and found out a day later that it was actually playing in Evansville. So the yeah. trip down, it's, it's it, I, I don't think you should give away what what really is a, uh, the the selling point of the movie because the the marketing has not given it away.
1: Well, funny enough that this kind of snuck up on me. I really didn't keep paying attention. Was this a, it was a can? Probably I assume or.
0: I don't, I don't know I don't know I just kind of like I, I, I mean I saw the it's, it's an a24 movie and a24 is gonna a24 you know like they 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 uh they're they're their they're marketing is getting very specific on how they market stuff and like elevated horror especially when they put it out it's just like if a24 had put it out you gotta see well, it
1: well yeah but you know it's hard the right title for uh genre for this
0: I think that's how they marketed it
1: yeah and then well like I said I was I was standing by the uh, ticket taker at the show place and the three young guys came up Looked like reminded me of like me and todd and jim like we were young or something just got your friends uh, uh, yeah your your close friends yeah close friends just three guys and they said they had no idea what they they just said we want to see this they had no idea what they're getting into i said and i go and todd had already seen it before i saw it and todd goes i don't know what i saw that's what todd's reaction was and i was like okay this sounds really you know fascinating and uh so i said okay guys well uh you know behave yourself in there because i want to be in there (laughs) And yeah. they and they stayed all the way through the credits. Yeah. And they said, look, I would to go home. They're going to go home and check out the website and try to figure this film out.
0: No, no, that, the the original original story you told me was they're going to. You, you don't want to cuss on him, do you? No, I, and I think I might have been exaggerating. I just thought, that's what they, but that was the. Exp- you told me they said I'm going to Google the fuck out of this because yeah. it's the ending. I, I I brought it up, but I I didn't I, I didn't like the ending, so I, I I've had conversations with other friends about the ending. I
1: know if we had a conversation. I thought I was starting to sway you. I've started to trying. To- to draw you back into it uh
0: i don't really feel ba- about talking negatively about it so but no. i mean the, the 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 thing that they're not showing is the thing that sh- is worth seeing about it. it is hypnotic and uh very effective well done like it is it's a very captivating gay, meticulously gay paced meticulously framed it is i mean i think it's the uh, first uh, it felt like the first 30 minutes didn't have a lot of dialogue in it
1: yeah it's yeah it's uh, creating atmosphere, creating mood.
0: Uh, um, yeah. Otherwise, for me, uh, I had a, my, I haven't done my uh, any really significant Halloween watches. I rewatched Poltergeist the other night, and like someone, I don't know if we can do an episode on this, but someone's got like, and I think a lot of people have dived into this question, and maybe it's unanswerable. But the whole did Spielberg directed or did Toby Hooper directed? It, <sighs> it feels so much like a Spielberg movie, and I get why, even though I think the evidence points clearly Toby Hooper was there, but. Um, Toby Hooper directed it, and Spielberg just was on set a lot. Um, but the fact Spielberg wrote, well, it was one of the three writers on it, wrote the story for it. Um, you Jerry Goldsmith feels like he's doing a John Williams score. <laughs> but, I mean, in the first half of it, especially.
1: Well, well why? Why why didn't just Steven
0: just direct it? I mean, what what, what was it? De- it feels like some weird shit happening in the same neighborhood as E.T. too. That's what the crazy thing is. It's like the same suburb.
1: Did he, did he just decide that Toby wasn't up to speed or something? Did or? he
0: have too much on his plate that year?
1: I don't know. I've I, I, I've never really fully examined that. I mean, I, I, I know the controversy. The, I know, whole, and I
0: know there's a lot of people feel strongly one way or the other about whether like, and I, I the ones I've heard say firmly say Toby Toby Hooper directed it. And
1: Toby's career is such a problematic filmography in some ways because you you, you the promise of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you you know you're thinking great great things, just like, uh, but then again you know did Romero you know it's kind of like a, a, a Romero's filmography too. I don't know.
0: Well, you, you know the scene I wasn't that definitely doesn't feel Spielbergian that I was, not, I was like kind of dreading because I remember scaring the shit out of me as a kid, but like it, it was fine now. Is the scene where um, one of the researchers uh, starts to have a dream sequence and he feels something messing up with his face and then he starts tearing all the flesh off his face? It stands out from the movie. Even yeah, well, that scene. was that was the rating problems too,
1: wasn't that one? That was the scene that the ratings uh, controversy. Supposedly
0: it was this and uh, Temple of Doom, but this is way before Temple of Doom. That's yeah. the other thing too. Yeah,
1: I saw it with a friend, my friend Timothy, and I. I remember at North Park, and I remember we. It was pretty. It's a pretty effective film, depending on how you see it when you see it. And you didn't. And we were like, oh. And we came out, and it was sheet lightning all the way home. You know, outside. <laughs> we were just we were just like freaked out. Like we gotta get home. We gotta get home. You know? Make
0: sure not to turn on your TV. Like the, yeah. the the strongest thing that I completely forgot about is you know what piece of music it opens with
1: uh exorcist no i don't know i forgot
0: the national anthem because oh. it's the music that plays whenever right
1: yeah. to do when you used to sign on you know television sign or off sign yeah off or sign Something off.
0: you're yeah. familiar with uh the rest of the week uh my nephew was over the last two nights and i had fun showing him some movies i've been trying for about a year and a half because he's really into design he plays that warhammer tabletop game and i showed him the thing a few years ago and he's turned to me he was like this is the most amazing movie ever and so i was trying to show him more design-based movies i got him through alien a few years ago and, and for some reason i was like but aliens is the one you're gonna love and we keep watching the first 20 minutes and never getting through it we finally finished it at friday night but the funnier one i showed him we didn't get all the way through he, it
1: he, 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 he did okay. he did
0: no i knew he liked it i think he was just, the first aliens is structured in a in um a way where it 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 becomes a roller coaster of a certain point and i think Cameron did, designed it that way but by that nature the before the roller coaster before the dip like it's not you you don't know you're about to watch a really intense movie and he just kept watching that part over and over <laughs> so but uh the other funny one when i showed him and i set it up on his hbo max so he can keep rewatching it we watch good fellas
1: Oh, okay
0: yeah, yeah. he he uh, he had a fun reaction. Now
1: now you, now you have to have him watch uh, listen to the podcast with Glenn Kinney. Uh all right. Yeah. That's right.
0: Yes, yeah, good. Yeah, that's a great great next one to watch. He we didn't finish it, but he uh I got I kept getting we watched it over two nights again kept was like we got to get through the couple k bands I
1: forgot a film. And it was the last one I saw last night. Uh, uh early in the morning this and it's a typical and kind of ties into Halloween. The Incredible Shrinking Man, the Criterion release. Are you you've never seen the you never, no, never heard about it. this film? We've um, heard about it, you know. You, the, I, don't know
0: well, I didn't know Criterion was putting it out. Yeah,
1: it just came out this week on Criterion. I guess I've never seen it. But it's Jack Arnold, Creature from Black Lagoon. It came from outer space. What year is it? 57, 56, something okay. like that. And it has a really wild, crazy, uh, unusual, atypical ending for a Universal horror, science. What's called what's claimed to be a science fiction film. Yeah, it has this very existential ending and it's really it's really incredible I mean incredible <laughs> there you go pun intended All right but it, it's uh it's a really uh it's 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 got a really interesting uh uh critical following and and cult following and uh I've read about it over the years and I just never have caught up to it I have never it seen it. It. oh yeah you'll enjoy it you're gonna really get kick out of it
0: Well, speaking of never having seen it, uh, jumping into the duelist, I want to point out that we, for some reason, we did the math this week. You were, I think, twenty three years older than me, so like yeah. twenty three years of film going that you have on me. Right. But, and a lot of times we go back and forth, and sometimes it's generational, but a lot of times and it's I the, make you
1: mad sometimes I'll say you haven't
0: seen this, and you roll right. your eyes <laughs> because I then will then point out a movie you haven't seen, and you know the exact feeling I'm talking right. about, even right. though you got twenty years on me. There's just certain things that everyone everyone has their blind spots. Everyone has movies they just have not seen. And aren't
1: you encouraged when you hear like Edgar Wright uh i remember oh yeah he was rattling all films he hadn't seen i go oh well maybe i'm not so bad after all yeah
0: (laughs) you know Uh, know what it is uh on instagram today i just saw karina longworth um the creator of you must remember this saying last night she just saw uh, david Cronenberg's the fly for the first time yeah see, there's always these odd just they miss it we all have them and yet we're all embarrassed by them and embarrassed yeah. well the the craziest there's a norm mcdonald rest in peace norm mcdonald joke where he talks about uh white lies and say someone comes up to you and is like, hey, have you seen this movie that you haven't seen? And you white lie and say, yeah, why do I do that? Is I, this a bit?
1: I know, I was about ready to say that. I was thinking, I, uh, is it a white uh, or is just an outright lie? I mean, I, I used to, uh, I, I, I actually, I'm not going to name names, but I know somebody in, uh, recently that I can see that he hasn't seen it, but he's just kind of nodding along. Mm. And, and you see that nod, and it's like, no, he hasn't seen it, but he's just kind of playing along. And I've done that several times, and I've actually flat out said, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like,
0: well, I think that's the nature of lying, where sometimes it's just easier to deal with someone. To well, line, you can, line. you're
1: in that situation, too, and you get to a point where you are considered, everybody knows, oh, this Ted's a film fanatic. Ted's a film fan. Right. And they expect, the expectations are there, and then, you, then you, that's where the embarrassment starts to kick
0: in. Well, there's also the corollary where uh, whenever, in the past, where I have uh, gone on someone like, oh, you haven't seen this, and they immediately have that embarrassed reaction, and I'm not wanting to embarrass someone, like sometimes I genuinely feel this way. Sometimes it takes me a second and it's like, this is how I should feel about it. But I feel envy for someone to see a good movie that I, for the first time. Right.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. When I somebody said like, you know, I'm going to go watch this. And I'm like, Oh man, I wish I could have those eyes again. You know, those, that experience again,
0: all this being a preamble to saying, I was shocked. When I, know, I know. We, were, I we talked about. Duelist. I was very embarrassed
1: about. You have never
0: seen the duelist. You were a big Ridley Scott fan, and you have never seen his very man. Right
1: films. off the gate, you know, here comes Alien, here comes Alien three times in the theater. Here comes Blade Runner. Uh, I went rushed up to see Someone to Watch Over Me, which a lot of people, which I, I have not seen. Yeah, which is a non. You know,
0: I have not seen that and Black Rain. Speaking of his 80s stuff, and then we'll go. I have a few other gaps with Really Scott. It always sets
1: a big. that makes a big difference between uh, the true film fans and the and just the film films that are certain genres because, you know, nobody wanted to see somebody watch over me. But then, you know, they're all back for Legend, you know, when Legend came out because that was f- some fantasy. Uh,
0: Legend's before Someone to Watch Over Me. I think it's after, No, Legend's I think, 85. I think Someone to Watch it, Over Me is 86.
1: Well, then what was – was it
0: right after Blade Runner? No, it was about two years. Two was there years something
1: in between Blade Runner and
0: um... – Nope. Okay, so he has three – Well, I'm going to look this up. Just he's got for... three
1: fantasy, science fiction, fantasy, what do you want to call it, genre, uh, fan- Someone to
0: watch over me is eighty-seven. Legend is eighty-five.
1: Okay, there you go. So uh, after those three, three films, we thought, oh, you know, here's here's the here's the Messiah of science fiction fantasy films. And then all of a sudden, he does this little thriller.
0: I heard this. Um, well, uh, I haven't read it, but Harlan Ellison wrote this uh, thing in uh, around eighty-five, saying and that he'd met with Ridley Scott, and Ridley Scott wanted to be the John Ford of science fiction.
1: Well, yeah, well, but he didn't say that. He didn't yeah, say, no, obviously. he didn't. So then, so there, I'm at. When Alien comes out, then Blade Runner, I am now a, a, becoming a very obsessive film fan. So I knew all about The Duelist. I was Harvey Keitel's in it. I'm like, I, you know, and there's there's Carradine, too. It, uh, it would have been hard to
0: get a hold of, too, right? Oh,
1: yeah. That was still. And so finally, maybe when VHS, I don't know if I even had a VHS of it, but I certainly got the DVD and I've been sitting on it ever since. And I can't believe. So when you said the, uh, this, game, when you said, let's do this, I said, oh, that's this is great. Let's do it. But, we know.
0: ended up walking into watching the last duel separately yeah. to, to see it together in the same theater, and they, they, I was I was thinking about doing this episode first off. Last duel is uh, really Scott's last few movies. They they he makes so many so fast that they it's hard to keep up, and they really it's not as low a quality level as not to jump on your your one of your favorites, but not a Clint Eastwood uh, crapshoot. <laughs> like really, Scott's mediocre movies are still pretty. They technically marvels. They're big, big spectacles. This is a good one. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I, I was, I was engaged. I was, I was surprised uh, at how good it was. As opposed to
1: a couple, I can think off the top of my head. Ex- his Ex- his uh, Exodus film and his, uh, you know, we, and the Robin Hood.
0: I should mention this is also the first time we've done a director's. Either it's filmography or uh, – this is the sec- This is the only episode we've done of a director twice. We did uh, – for episode 52, we did The Counselor. I know. So we yeah. talked a lot about Ridley Scott there. Well,
1: I know. But there's another one I haven't seen. And we were just talking about it right before we started recording. I haven't seen White Squall. That was another one. And I can't – you know, why – I have the DVD. In fact, uh, a few weeks ago, I came across it. I said, I am going to watch this because I'm thinking – I thought, you know, I'm a you know, Ridley Scott loyalist. And I'm, I'm always—I thought I was always there at the theater for his films—and I missed that one somehow.
0: Well, I—you uh, mentioned Exodus and Robin Hood. I have not seen those, which I think I mentioned on our uh, because lackluster. Why?
1: Because lackluster, lackluster lack, lack, reviews. Yeah, uh, yeah, I just kind of prevented you. But even
0: then, when I was going through his filmography, I remember ones that I was excited about, and then ended up being kind of disappointed about. Like, do you remember American Gangster? Do you remember Body of Lies? Yeah, uh, I actually, I think I like Body of Lies, and I think I think I just saw that Oscar Isaac's in that. I think. Oh, I know. That makes sense. And Body of Lies, I do remember being pretty good. American Gangster is uh, a really guy with Harris Savides, and I remember being some of the most gorgeous movies. I was really <laughs> well.
1: This is going to be terrible to say this, but I was thinking American Gangster. I'm thinking. Ridley Scott, American. I mean, it just, to me, I think Ridley Scott, European, British, uh, uh, international.
0: uh, I I think Richard Price wrote on it was the reason I was saying. But American is a little too. It's
1: just stupid for me to think that because, you know, G.I. Jane or Thelma Louise. Well,
0: American is a very, it's it's, it's more in literary circles. Again, it has a tendency to be too loaded of a uh, additive to a title, but. And, you know, it doesn't get it doesn't get bandied about it. In the gang- when people talk gangster films, nobody really talks about it. I hate to say it rightfully so. I mean, Rid- Ridley Scott's pace, like, this is going to be one of the things I want to discuss in this episode, especially because you were talking about you're going from Blade Runner to Legend, and then it seems Legend on, although it really kicked in for me, um, it was after Matchstick, man. But for someone who used to make divisive, bold... Um, Beautiful looking graphically gorgeous just why has really scott made so many forgettable movies after a certain point and is it his pace yeah i wonder is
1: this gonna be weird to say that he's he's like he's like maybe like a woody allen but he's on a he's on a he's on a blockbuster yeah, I don't, level i don't think that's weird you know it's
0: like you know woody's are small budget films i would like to think really scott likes his movies more than woody allen likes his movies <laughs> but yeah i mean
1: it's just like for every Gladiator, you know, there's like actually this Robin Hood, where you're just going, eh, you know.
0: Well, I want to um, do the the parallels. The Last Duel uh, stars Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and Ben Affleck. It's written by uh, uh, Affleck and Damon and Nicole Center who um, wasn't was an odd pairing, or or
1: yeah, we've had. I thought that
0: I, I, let's mention that
1: for a second. That's like the Bond film. You have what's her name from Fleabag.
0: Yeah, that's Phoebe Waller Bridge. Yeah. And she's, does she, um, so i mean her
1: well, yeah. unexpected writers i mean i'm not i'm
0: not, not bridge i think is a good is has come up as a really good um i don't know if she's script doctoring a lot but she's like like you read her introduction to fleabag it's a it's a really good writers book.
1: i'm not trying to make this a male female thing at all sure it is just it just although there's
0: something to be male well, stories being written well, I mean, by like it's bond, good to, it's
1: james bond yeah I mean,
0: well especially with last duel half the point is like uh affleck and damon wrote the first two acts and then Last Duel has got a Rashomon uh, structure and the third is uh, from the woman's point of view. And then Huff Center writes the last third of it.
1: And Huff Center, I mean, she's kind of forgotten. She's kind of like one of these alternate independent directors that uh I she's, she's solid i, mean, I don't know if she's forgotten she's respected people who don't know me but yeah but within within inner circles i don't uh, you uh, when she
0: does script doctoring like this i guess it's she does this pretty consistently i would
1: a lot of some of my friends i would go to and and, and rattle off her filmography they wouldn't i have never seen any of them well what does that what?
0: does that say about your friends or what is that no say? it is
1: no she's okay. just she's, she's okay no i think because hardly any of your films played here in evansville that's fair. See what I'm saying? That's I mean fair. I mean, it's it's more of an independent thing. Uh, I mean, no, the respect, I mean, uh, regardless of the respect or not, it's just her, her, her profile's not that big. Um, but amongst film fans, like,
0: obsessives like us, we knew about right. her. Right. Well, so and, a lot of the story around The Last Duel, though, is that uh, the, the the obnoxious, uh, I guess with the pandemic, uh, uh, movie going, coming back, we got to re- come back to the same old narratives of, like, box office failure whenever... <laughs> And then just like, adult movies don't make money. Like it's, uh, and yes, it came and went, and it was probably expensive. Although there's way many more mini- mitigating circumstances to it. But maybe
1: this. I mean, I'm thinking maybe this article is just clickbait. On a, on a yes. Social, you know.
0: Oh yeah. Don't. Oh god. Yeah. It's it's lazy journalism. I'm not. like It's lazy a, entertainment. It's, it's journalism It's an easy way to universe. get attention
1: and and make us talk about it. You know. Well, <laughs> well, so let's go back and just basically tell the plot. I guess you, you should oh, just, the last duel. Yeah, just kind of give lay the landscape.
0: for oh, it. The last duel is. Um, 1300s. It's so the 1300s in France, and uh, these um, it takes place over a course of many years, and it's uh, Matt Damon's character ends up marrying Jodie Comer, and after a certain point, she accuses Adam Driver, who uh, he's fought. Matt Damon and Adam Driver's characters have fought together for long periods of time over the years, but their relationship has gotten tense, and uh, she accuses him of rape. And then they have to have what is known as the last it's not the last legal duel in Europe it's the last judiciary duel in Europe that was a real event
1: yeah based on a real event and, and and you're presented with adam driver as a really uh very magnanimous nice nice, yeah. nice guy gracious guy you Matt Damon's character is kind of a hothead kind of uh a, a headed kind of a stubborn uh uh lots he's, he's it's
0: very interesting casting because yeah. he's the one that's like constantly uh mad that life didn't treat him well
1: right so and then, like I said, like uh, Shane said earlier, it's a it's in a Ar- Rashomon structure. So you get you you get from Adam Driver's view, you get it from Matt Damon's view and you get from the girl's view. Jodie Comer. And uh, and now who's Jodie Comer? Because she was I'm kind of was kind of new to me.
0: Well, speaking of a few uh, walled bridges, um, Killing Eve. She's from the show, right, which it. I haven't seen. So I, yeah. I've heard
1: good things about it.
0: So. Yeah, and then she was in uh, Free Guy, which I haven't seen either. Too. Which yeah, which I mean she's just starting out. She's she's in House of Gucci, which the other thing you oh, love talking yeah. about was that Ridley Scott Space, here we go again. His next movie's coming out in a month and a half. And one of those things I should write down on a journal,
1: it's like here I am to see the latest Ridley Scott film, and I'm seeing a trailer for the next Ridley Scott film in the same uh, auditorium.
0: Well the, the so, thing uh, the reason I wanted to go to the Duelist for this is that Really, Scott seems very spry. He's in his 80s. Uh, he doesn't seem like he's going to slow down anytime soon. I mean, fingers crossed. You can have health is private. But like, he seems like he's going to go for another 10, 15 years. But a man who makes a movie called The Last Duel, it's interesting. Then you go back in his filmography. His very first film is called The Duelist. And then you watch it. There's a ton of parallels like uh, Notre Dame. One of my favorite things in The uh, Last Duel is you see Notre Dame being built. But it both takes place in France. Um, it's about uh, duelists over a long period of time. You have American actors playing Frenchmen. Um, oddly, kind of cast that. <laughs> very good. Um, It's also got a very like, these prideful multi-decade conflicts. It's there's there's a lot of odd overlap.
1: There. Yeah, we ought to talk about it's it's during the uh, that uh, takes place in the Napoleon, Napoleonic Wars. Mm-hmm. Keith Carradine and Harvey Cartel are work are fighting for the uh, the uh, for Napoleon. Uh, they're the one of them a Hussar. They may be both Hussars. I'm not sure. I,
0: there's a uh, um, structure between um, six different sections, and it's 1800 through 1816.
1: And basically, <laughs> it's so it's kind of it's really a bizarre. Intre- I, I'm kind of curious to see what your reaction was. Uh, well, so- I, I've
0: seen I had seen it before. Yeah. That, that was one of the reasons why I was like, well, you haven't seen this, Ted. <laughs> Keith Carradine. You were seeing for this, so your reaction is more. Yeah,
1: Keith Carradine is sent to go. I kind of knew a lot about it. It's one of those things too. Over the years, of course, I've read about it and know about it. So it wasn't super fresh, but it was you know very. I mean, to see it all together, I'd seen
0: clips before. Well, the the, the most startling thing to me about rewatching it, I remember this a little bit, but over the years, I've I've kind of come into that camp where. You know, I have my favorite Kubrick movies, but one of the ones that I find shockingly rewatchable, especially because it took me years to actually get through for the first time, is Barry Lyndon. And Barry Lyndon is so rewatchable right now, and its aesthetic is something that is so defining and interesting. And watching The Duelist come two years after Barry Lyndon, and really Scott being such a Kubrick fanatic... I'm shocked that for someone, I, you would you, There's no really Scott movie I can think of that I would call really derivative in any way, and it's shocking to me how this just takes Barry Lyndon's well, it. Well, yeah, second. he had to start
1: somewhere. He had to get kind of get his feet wet and his toe in the, the, the pond. The idea um,
0: being that you're you're you're, sh- you're shooting it in painterly tableaus of uh, like eighteen eighteen hundreds style painting, and and also, but he also does this way of framing. And distancing the emotion inside the scene so that you know all these people are dead, but they felt this strongly about this then, but now they're dead. And here's yeah. a here's a painterly version of what that's, they look like. That's
1: very interesting that I just, that made me think of something new. I want to get back to the, tell the, the listeners to the plot of the film. Oh, sorry. But um, the, what, 2001, kind of how it influenced the science fiction genre after after it. Do you uh, think
0: Barry Lyndon did that for period pieces? For
1: that certain time period. Almost hardly any colonial or Napoleonic era or any of those. Eras. What other movies are you thinking of? Well, I'm just thinking like you know, even like uh, when you watch something like The Patriot, there's probably uh, you know uh, scenes in the in inside that interiors in the the way they light things, because the, uh, Barry Lyndon
0: really. Cinematographers are always inspired by painting, uh, painting and it's a good re- reference source. Well, so. you know,
1: the big deal about Barry is that he came up with this lighting, the way to light it, especially, he actually came up with a special lighting way to light the film, right? You remember that? Uh, that's,
0: uh, that's overblown. I mean, the, oh, the, the yeah. bigger deal is like they, they, they had the lenses that were so wide open from NASA that you can film by candlelight.
1: Okay, maybe that. well, the camera light thing. I think you know in, in a typical Hollywood film in the 40s or 50s, they you know they do a time you know it's everything's just flat you know. There
0: there you know as, and a, in, a, and, as as big a deal as that sequence is, there is a scene in *Grapes of Wrath* where Greg, Greg tolan lights by a candlelight. Oh, I'm sure there are exceptions. I'm, yeah, and, I I'm, mean no 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 yeah. no, they're they're both marvels. so right. uh, They're both amazing scenes in, but in think, of, think, of lighting too. But
1: think about Mohicans. You know, like in the cabin when he they're uh, when they're having dinner with the the, the, the
0: Can't, uh, a candle. So, a candlelit thing was a little easier. Things went on, but not much easier.
1: Yeah. Keith Carradine is sent. He's a soldier. He's sent to go get Kaitel uh, and, uh, and tell him to go to his quarters. He's been he's reprimanded because Kaitel loves to fight duels. Kaitel's a hothead. We, well, we don't realize how much a hot until we meet him. And he just goes off, Well, off the bat, he just goes off on Carradine. And,
0: he's, he's a, he wants to have his second deadly duel of the day.
1: Right. And so he goes on, and then uh and Caradine's like, I don't want to do this. And He's like, what the heck is going on here? And then there's a series of duels over the, the years as we progress. And we kind of follow Carradine more about his life because he ends up uh, getting married and stuff, whereas opposed, to we don't, Kai uh, history. Is,
0: this is based on the Joseph Comrade story. The American title for it is Point of Honor. Um, and I, I, didn't, I read a little bit of the short story, not much of it going into this, but it, it's odd because it feels like the movie, sh- the, the other distancy effect is it should have like you said, it's from Carradine's point of view, it should have more, Carradine's the aristric, aristocratic character, but you don't, and the, the class struggles are part of Keitel's characters. There's a lot, yeah, there's but a lot. But it it's not really in the movie, though. No.
1: It's not. What about Conrad, speaking of Joseph Conrad, you now, we're talking about a Joseph Conrad story now. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm thinking, I'm sure there's a lot of subtext, or there's a lot of metaphorical things with Conrad writing in this book, or is it, or is it just straight out, just these two guys dueling? In other words, in
0: this well, one, I didn't finish the short story, and I don't know. I'm not familiar with Conrad, but well, I don't think there's much metaphorical in it.
1: Okay, uh, I well, mean, wait, what do you what, think? What do well, you think I'm correct now. See, I'm going to really embarrass myself. My my literature and, uh, uh, expertise here is is very lacking. Uh, we're talking about the guy who wrote uh, Heart of Darkness, right? Yeah. And, we, and uh, Lord, Lord Jim. Jim. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's de- he always he's dealing he's always dealing with another level of subject matter, as opposed to just the the, the literal level you're reading at.
0: Yeah, but I mean, the subject matter we're talking about is literally called uh, the the official title elsewhere is the duel. There's yeah. This is conflict between two two people.
1: Right, but I'm saying so. There's more than, than just these two. This hothead wanted to fight this guy to the death. There's it, we have to. There's more going on to this film subjectually.
0: Uh, I don't know. I would imagine so. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't. It didn't feel like what I read had harder darkness level of metaphor going on. Okay. Or.
1: Well. Okay. Well, I mean, what did you take from it? how do you feel about the film do you do you like the film
0: oh yeah oh yeah i I, I think it's more it's it's it, it's it's one of our best directors one of our boldest directors it really reminds me that when he was coming on the scene that he wasn't he he was really fully formed but not as fully formed as he's going to be especially for someone who like his next two movies are his <laughs> oh, de- are, are, i think is defining movies but you also think of how like such a talent such a design thing with flaw with 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 problems in his storytelling come throughout all his movies. Um, you just realize how much you take I've taken him for granted.
1: Well yeah, true. Yeah. And then uh, you know, we ought to mention how he you know, he came this feature film is fully formed right off the bat, which sometimes is unusual. A lot of directors we see them stumble and, and, and work their kinks out before they get to a really good place. You know, of course, you know, we got, you know, Orson Welles or the Cohen brothers. Well, but- Ridley
0: Scott also, like, has a very small, to go with uh, Malcolm Gladwell, Thousand Hours. He, I don't know if he directed a full thousand commercials, but he directed so many commercials. He started, I didn't realize he started out on TV, though, when I was doing some research on this. Oh. He, he directed some episodes of B- for the BBC. Ah. He started as a designer there, and then he quit, and then he went into advertising, or mainly advertising. Uh, I watched some of his ads, too, over the years, like the really striking ones that he's, that seems to be, Mostly remembered for, especially in Europe, is this Chanel Number no. Five ads. Oh. But obviously, his most famous one, which they is half of the subject of the Steve Jobs movie, is his uh, Macintosh 1984
1: ad. Oh, okay. But you know the you know which
0: actually I should mention that's what really was, is between uh, Blade Runner and Legend. There, think about we you know an
1: Alien and Blade Runner, and, and we all just like okay, who is this guy? This figure it really is Scott. But and, and I, the main thing I remember, you know, the takeaway back then was huge commercial maker. And he took all that the visuals of the commercial making, and there was two other uh, peers at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I always lumped always them in with Adrian Lyne and uh, Alan Parker. Yeah, they all, and they, they, these all of a sudden these, these British guys showed up, and there these these really slick visual lighting things, you know. Well, he
0: worked a lot with his brother later too. Who, when he came over, he he kind of he. Tony Scott really jumped it even more, but like one of the, there's an aesthetic that came from there that I am obsessed with. It's a lot of smoke, a lot of heart <laughs> lights, a lot of heart lights. Um, But the, in the same time, like um, a lot of cinematographers are going to try to find ways to like justify certain lighting rigs. Like it has to be an accentuation of how a natural room looks naturally. Like when Roger Deakins did Blade Runner 2049, part of the reason that movie looks so, completely crazy is like they came up with the philosophy of your lines like you know how much is motivated the light is motivated in Blade Runner not at all so Roger Deacons, you don't have to do this at all you can write light in the most expressionistic ways you want and that's how really Scott would always do like yeah. you would always see these like shimmering lights on walls coming up nowhere
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: so anyway I, did you
1: did you buy Harry Keitel in the period piece that's always been an interesting thing. I mean, Keith Carradine can be good, but even though Keith. Well, done, you know
0: who uh, uh, Ridley Scott originally wanted for this? Uh, no. Michael York and Oliver Reed.
1: Well, there you go.
0: This actually gets us- Oh, my gosh. This. Uh, well, this is, that would have been- Could you
1: imagine? Because that's Musketeers. That's Athos versus uh, D'Artagnan.
0: Oh, no. I, 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 I walked right into that. <laughs> um, I think one of the consistent things I find uh, going through this filmography is there's- I was I was thinking of this during the last duel, how wonky it is the casting. Uh, Matt Damon and Ben Aff we should mention Ben Affleck is amazing in the last duel, but how wonky his casting is mainly of his main roles. It seems like Scott is always like I'll I'll, I'll make it work with uh, cast that will get me the money, and then he turns out everyone beneath the like the the line is well cast, really well. Well, cast.
1: That, I wrote down names for that because uh, I'm watching this now new. A 1977 film, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I recognize all these people. Uh, because I was those are the kind of films I saw around the time, I, love, I saw a lot. I've always loved the British only films. one I,
0: I would really point out is Gay Hamilton, who was the cousin in Barry Lyndon, which also really brings it up. But that was really the one I worked on. Oh, when, who'd you have? Well,
1: I mean, just well, first, I want to go back to that Oliver Reed, uh, Michael York thing you said. That's a revelation because think about it Oliver Reed is an eccentric, kind of a hothead type guy. On and off screen, the Kitele is kind of. Uh, I mean, it's like the American. These are like the American versions of Oliver
0: Reed and Michael York. I mean, you know what's so funny is it, you went, you went. I didn't even think of who to cast two. I just didn't think much of. It. I just got the names down. You knew exactly who was cast two, and it makes total sense. Oh my gosh, that would have been
1: that would have been uh, add such a weird, interesting intertextual le- level to it mm-hmm. if they had done that. No, but you got a uh, Robert, the, the kind of the uh, the big general that kind of reprimands Keith Garradine, That's Robert Stevens who uh, was married to Maggie Smith at one time, a very uh, uh, critically lauded uh, actor. He's Sherlock Holmes and Billy Wilder's The Private Lives of Sherlock Holmes. Really? Yeah. Um,
0: I saw well, uh, yeah, another movie I have not seen.
1: <laughs> uh, but then if, uh, for the British fans out there listening to us, uh, as I know there's so many, <laughs> you know, uh, John McNary and Alan Armstrong, Alan Armstrong are British guys you would have seen all over the place, and uh, Alan Webb uh, the uncle, the old uncle, he, uh, he was in a lot of interesting things. Outside. I, I I'm not going to sit here and right read off their filmographies, but uh, the narrator—that's shocked me. Who's the narrator? Stacy Keach. You're kidding? No, I'm I like I totally didn't recognize. It. I'm like I'm like that's bizarre, uh, especially for yeah. international British, you know. When the, when is when's Fat City?
0: Fat City's like '73, isn't yeah,
1: it? Yeah, yeah. So you got Stacy Keach. I forget Stacy
0: Keach. Stacy Keach in the '70s. Uh, the I
1: thought the the, the lead lady. Uh, Done a quick, uh, interesting career. Nothing. She never really, I guess, maybe a lot of stage. I don't know. I thought she was a little interesting because I think she looked a little bit too modern looking for my taste in a in a in I, sure. film. Sure.
0: And then, which again is a, a, a we're talking about two French films in a row where it's American actors and like look very big American mo- current current American then current American actors. And
1: then really interesting. Keith Carradine ends up marrying. Uh, an actress called Christina Raines, who just her main claim—the famous *The Sentinel*—that was right before a horror, big horror film. I think it's *Frankenheimer*, I think. But she never, her career never really took off. I always thought she was like, if you can't get Barbara Hershey, you get Christina Raines. Okay, she's in Nashville. Oh, and who's she in Nashville? I'm not sure. Uh, I forgot what I didn't look at the character, but she. I was looking up her filmography, and I figured, oh yeah, she is in Nashville. Mm. And she's. In, I don't know what part, but it could both. You know, of I, course, I,
0: I was kind of stuck by Carradine. I keep thinking of him in Deadwood and how like it's, there's the feeling of him being like the '70s. He's so boyish, and then like his he came into his voice much later. But mm. um, well, of the, course, you know.
1: He, I mean, a lot of people are always going to start, start and stop with him at Nashville. You know. I'm I mean, that, that's I'm why. Easy. That's why. That's why I went I'm to Nashville easy. with this.
0: Yeah, exactly what I was thinking. No, the the big observation I had, which I'm actually kind of proud of, this is uh Harvey Keitel in this movie. Um, I did. I went down the filmography. You know, Harvey Keitel is in the first debut film of Ridley Scott, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, Paul Schrader, and uh, not friend of the podcast James Toback. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and and like I was kind of wondering, like, how would how would you. Besides his commercials, how would you sell Ridley Scott sell stars on the on this movie? And part of me was thinking like, if Ridley Scott went to uh, Harvey Keitel and said, "I wanna, I want, I want to do a kind of a Barry Lyndon version," although he was trying to tell people that he was mad that this movie was sold in America as an art film, and he's like, "I'm making a western." <laughs> a French Western, but a mid- French middle, uh, 1800 Western. But anyway, you're selling, if he's trying to sell to uh, Harvey Keitel, Harvey Keitel probably goes back to Scorsese. And, w- and if you go in uh, Scorsese's book on uh American film or his, uh, his mo- his uh, documentary on it, it ends with Barry Lyndon because he's like, I'm making films now. I don't feel comfortable talking about the rest of them. But Barry Lyndon the last one he talks about being blown away by and is one of his favorite cubits. Yeah.
1: Um, I always felt bad. I always felt sorry for Harvey because it looked like, it was going to be the Scorsese Kaitel team, and then he, then it turned to De Niro. And, and De Niro shows up on Main Street, and it's like, uh, let's go well, with Bobby. You know? Well, the crazier
0: thing, I, I didn't, I didn't end up doing the research on this, but I was trying to figure out the timeline on what was the movie Kaitel would have gone to after being fired from Apocalypse Now. I think it was Fingers, but mm. I'm not sure. But the, and so it would have been he would have gone from this to Apocalypse Now, and then got fired like four weeks in. I don't remember.
1: Do you think was, that kind of that kind of put him on the blacklist for a while, getting fired from Apocalypse?
0: I don't think so. No. I don't think so. Dude, he was—he still did some interesting. Oh no, no, he's always had a great, an interesting, quirky career. I, I kind of looked up his other stuff. What's um, what's um, the Peter Hyams Saturn? Oh, Saturn
1: Three. Yeah. Uh, no, that's well, that's uh. That's actually, not Peter Hyams. It's not Peter um, St- It's Stanley Donen. Stanley Donan, of all things, yeah. But they have a big. Yeah. But uh, you know, then he shows up in uh, you know, Bad Lieutenant. He got critical credit again for that when he showed up on that. But it's kind of been a really quirky, interesting career. But hey, we we want to mention. We go back before we get further along. The casting, uh, two other people that show up really almost like cameos, but big. Uh, All oh, right, we
0: uh, we did miss miss the big one. Albert
1: Finney, Albert uh, Finney, big time. And at the time in seventy seven, this guy was big. Uh, Tom Conti, uh, the doctor, uh, who gives him the medicine. He was a he was kind of a big time uh, uh, European international star. He, it was in a film with Julie Walters i think that really put him on the top or something but no i mean the, the Albert
0: Finney one stood out to me especially but um, no but if if you were
1: a, uh, an avid film goer in 77 you Tom Conti would have been, oh, yeah, there's Tom Conti you know so uh, yeah it's a really good, fascinating cast fascinating look see here's so here's the reason i think there's more to this film i mean uh, and maybe you I don't know if you want to talk about this or if you, you were getting ready to bring it up it, first, you're going like, what Kytel is just a jerk. Why is he doing this? There's, it's just, You really do. You really you're do. just like, this is so frustrating. And then you kind of, then I had to go back and find out, oh, I think I know if he's justifying just because it was one little thing. It's really weird. He's such a hothead. But then the film ends with uh, I don't want to I
0: guess I can, let's, no let's, I'm okay talking about the well ending I mean the, I asked some stuff if I want to bring up about the ending well at the
1: end they don't they both are alive at the end and and Carradine's finally put a, a uh, an end to it and he's going to live happily ever after with his wife and on the estate and everything we get the shot of Kaitel and he's got the Napoleon hat the the stereotypical Napoleon cap
0: are you talking on. about the penultimate shot in the movie which is a gorgeous shot he's just
1: standing there uh, surveying the landscape.
0: Yeah, a, yeah this is the most painterly thing it's on a dolly kind of has this like it's basically like if a vertigo zoom was in Barry London like and then and then it goes on for a while.
1: It's like, well, it's kind of like uh, the ending of Lamb with uh, what Naomi you were, oh. you were you were you were frustrated with. Like, what right. were you we seeing? Why are we seeing her standing there forever? This is
0: this uh, this is more well, the, the, ignoring. Lamb. I know. I'm igno- just, ignoring uh, Lamb. This is this is a, a more effective loaded. I'm pain- uh, what the film's been building. Well, you he, you think this explains why he was such a hothead the whole time? That there was something Napoleonic about it.
1: Well, well, he. It looks like he. If you go, if you want to go, try to make a literal reason why he's doing what he's doing. He, uh, Caradine's kind of just neutral about Napoleon, and Keitel is fanatical about following Napoleon. And so when he's taking him back to his quarters in that very first time when he was going to retrieve him, he says some, uh, you you know, how dare you spit on Napoleon's name or something like mm-hmm. that. And Carradine goes, I could care less. I mean, and and that's right, That's. If you just take it literally, that's that's, what—that's—that's the turning point. That's what clicks. Can I tell you? I'm going to kill this guy.
0: Well, half the reason there's always these time gaps between them is like, it was something that like, I, I didn't really pick up until this viewing is, um, there's a, a stipulation that said that, uh, you, uh, people in the same ranks can't duel with each other. So like, uh, Carradine keeps getting promoted <laughs> yeah. before Kaitel. Yeah. So yeah, there's
1: no, there, so I'm, I, I'm, what, I, what I'm saying is I can't, I can't rest the film on just that, uh, just a literal, uh, thing. It seems like because at the end, because especially because of the ending shot, he lingers on Kaitel thinking and looking over the landscape, looking like Napoleon, of all weirdly enough, and thinking there has to be what are we supposed to take from this? There's something going on here that's much more layered. Uh, uh, in a metaphorical and a, uh, analogous way, or something. You know?
0: I didn't, I didn't pick up on that, but I think you're onto something. Yeah. I because because what little I read of the Conrad short story may class issue more, bigger than anything else. And I mean, you
1: know, and, and I can't believe it. Just it is, it just comes down to him like he's just standing there and he's sorry that he never won the duel and never got to kill him. No, and he learned his lesson. He's going to be a good boy now. I don't think that's well, that.
0: That definitely is not the right. Yeah, I, I get you. On that. So there's that's something like... you know if
1: Scott and the, the really. Is going to slinger on that. I, I can't believe it's just, oh, it's just a beauty shot and he learned his lesson. There has to be some more going on with that.
0: Well, you know the big parallels I drew was that certain things in the very final duel is a strong parallel to the end uh, fight in Blade Runner, where you have uh, two uh, uh, protagonists antagonists fighting uh, to be fair, in Blade Runner only one has a gun, but uh, both of them have guns, they're chasing each other over period of place, and it <laughs> There's actually literally good, well,
1: good Shane. Well, no,
0: one of my favorite shots in all cinema Blade Runner is this shot where it's a really tight close-up of Deckard's gun with water dripping down the walls, and uh, in the background, and there's water dripping sounds throughout this entire scene. But then it also ends with one of them ready to do, go for the kill does not do, does not do the kill, and then uh, they gives up their duel. You know, it, it, it may come down. I mean, I don't, I don't want
1: to overthink it, and maybe or maybe I'm not smart enough. But I, I just think maybe we're leaning on the shot. I mean, Kaitel's taking it all in and and trying to figure out what exactly he's been doing all these years. Well, because the,
0: the cool thing about the shot that I, I just remembered, like seeing it, it's it's it it. You know, really, Scott is capable of occasionally, like, you think of the very opening shot of Blade Runner. Like, he can every once in a while come up with an image that is so overwhelmingly beautiful. It it just, like, it just it throws you off. And so, but at the same time, he's also very conscious of pacing that for that. The reason the titles in Blade Runner are very plain font is because he knows that shot's going to overwhelm you. So, this penultimate shot in The Duelists is this gorgeous shot, but it's not the last shot. The last shot is a shot of Harvey Ketel's eyes. Really close-up shot of Mm -hmm. Harvey Ketel's eyes, and then it fades out.
1: Yeah, so very yeah, and, and like I said, you get you get this, uh, you get this interesting narration popping in and out by Stacey Keach of all, play, of I all did not catch this at all. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's it's yeah, well yeah, uh, it's in the credits at the very end. So um, the uh,
0: one of the others duel the things I want to talk about that I think is really effective and show how amazing he's going to be is I think it's the third duel where it's the horse riding duel. Mm, yes. The one where Carradine really thinks he's going to die. Yeah. The editing in that—that's—that's yeah. that's where it start, you start seeing like this is someone who's thinking beyond. Like, it's th- there was all these—it's you have these like paced up uh, of sounds of tension growing up, and then you have these really hard sound out cuts in the middle of it, the subjective cuts. Uh, yeah. It's, oh no! Yeah, it was a very interesting
1: sequence, and yeah, you could tell someone doing this right off this for this first film. Um,
0: he's he's showing off in a good way.
1: The uh, it's interesting first films too. I'm like he he had a nice budget. Uh, I mean, it no, was, that's
0: the thing. He's, he's I mean, really, Scott perpetually always complains that he doesn't have a budget and that a part of his talent is making everything look bigger than it is. Which you know makes sense if someone is so consistently good at making scale from nothing. But he says like the whole Tableau shootings now was because they didn't have the money for it.
1: Somehow, if somehow someone had faith in this guy, they'd, they'd let him, you know, do this film as his first film. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if the company or the producer or whatever, but uh,
0: it was up for the Grand Prix Cannes, one for best debut. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, makes sense. Uh, it's
1: really interesting because uh, Ridley comes across. It seems to me Ridley comes across as a force of nature. You don't want to mess with Ridley. You watch him on. Uh, I was watching some extras on the when I was getting, we were doing a Blade Runner talk a while back, at the mm-hmm. and I was doing a lot of uh, featurette watching and stuff, and. They brought Ridley in um, for the remastering and for the new versions. And he's like, you know, he's got a cigar and he's just uh, looks like, you know, you don't take any flack from him. You
0: know? Well, he seems very just dis- like he's one of those directors that uh, I don't think is necessarily the best way to direct. But for a studio system, it makes sense. The best way to direct be decisive. And he knows to be decisive. And like it doesn't. Uh, my argument would be like, this is why you get some films that where you have a lot of decisions in them, but they're not necessarily neither here nor there that's it's the disposability factor of like like i don't know i i i started this out by pointing out that like really scott's so visionary that you you start to take him for granted when he's making a movie or
1: um a couple of little, little things i thought um the sneezes oh have the also when he has a sneeze oh doing, you know and everything has to stop because he has a sneeze uh-huh. uh, i thought that was kind of an interesting part that, that was probably a very humorous thing in the theater with an audience maybe um i thought the uh the tonal change was interesting. Almost near the end, when he's uh, settled down and he starts uh, uh, courting this late uh, Christina Christina Reigns, and it seems like you know when we're uh, he starts recording courting uh, Christina Reigns, and also he's retired, almost like it's like a, it's all kind of the music's happy and and it looks gorgeous, and we're in a, a, a Merchant Ivory Merchant Ivory movie. Almost seems like doesn't it? you feel that way? Because you had this intensity going. And then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, it's just like it's. Is that,
0: is that what's supposed to be the um, pathos of the movie? The I, heart of the movie? I
1: don't know. I just thought that was really an interesting um, thing. Oh, we forgot. Edward Fox shows up too. I forgot. I'm looking at my notes. And, I don't know Edward Fox. Uh, he's the, uh, the commander that comes to him at the estate when he's getting ready to get married. And then he runs him to him at the uh, saloon and says, yeah, well, you can find him here. Mm, uh, okay. He's a very British actor. He's in always—it's James Fox's brother. He, uh, I met Edward Fox in, in London one time, actually. Um Oh, what's what's the deal with R- Ridley Scott being listed as operator in the credits?
0: That's what he did. He's a that that. I mean, you you've read all the future noir, the Paul Salmon Blade, yeah. Blade Runner stuff. Uh, uh, all the that was his big issue was he was a he was so used to British crews and he was his own operator and then on when the he, camera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when he came to America, he couldn't operate, and he didn't like that. That was, uh, was something that came from his commercial work.
1: Then how does, how does Soderbergh get away with it?
0: I mean, this is a union issue that's come oh. up throughout the year. Some people get around it. Some people find ways around it. Some people push for it. Some people uh, are better when they don't do it. And sometimes, you know, it's, uh, it's people are like, it's it's my hand. Hmm.
1: It's- interesting. One other, one other little note, I, I, I thought it was interesting near the beginning of the film. There's a bunch of uh, ducks or figgies on the right.
0: There's one of the fir- It's almost one of the first uh, notable things in the movie,
1: and we get that, in... we get we get a sequence in uh, the last duel of a flock. You know, I'm thinking that's almost a go-to thing in almost time he, he, ha- he has his uh well not really scott just i think almost any director or any time period piece that takes place in the geese the, yeah, the geese or or just so, you know on the little uh, dirt road and a little girl flock you know with the, the, the i know it's not the word flock is probably appropriate I, But i know. did want
0: to mention uh pauline kale gave this a good review oh, yeah. and uh one of the lines from her review is she pointed out this shot uh when uh, during the romance scene uh toward the end where carity and christina Rains kind of kiss in a horse stable uh, and he, she points out that there's these white ho- horses nuzzling in the background, almost at wow. the same spot where like they, they come together in the foreground. And she said, this is either the luckiest shot a beginning movie director ever caught or the most uh, entranced bit of planning a beginning uh, ever dared. It's a great, it's a little, it's really, it's an
1: interesting scene because they. I think the horses are on the, doing their own thing, kissing and, and mu- mm-hmm. uh, nuzzling or muzzling, whatever the word proper word is. And I think you, uh, Christina and Keith are almost mm-hmm. going to lose it. If you watch it, there, there. I think they go off script, uh, in a little bit, uh, and be a, a big. A, a I just very didn't catch natural. any of this. I just didn't catch any and, of this. It's not a stable. It's actually on the field. Uh, when he's, uh, yeah, when he, uh, he asked for the merrier. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Watch that scene again. It's really interesting. Uh, did you? Um, you know, it's interesting with this film, the the duelist, 1977, I think Ridley's. You know, a lot of these. When you do those kind of pieces, you see a lot of directors evoking the great. Uh, paintings of the time
0: sure yeah
1: and 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 images and even like you know totally stealing from or you know doing homage to it or whatever i by the time of the last duel that i don't see that in that i see no no it's no, it's, no. Ridley, it's just pure ridley you well, know
0: i mean i i really focused on the barry linden aspect of it but there's this like i don't re- i don't remember the painting but there's these tableau uh at the beginning of the movie you see him bookended where there's um uh, it's uh, which uh, one in which film in in Duelist, where there's like um it's like a pear and a piece of cheese, and then you see the same frame later in the movie and like the pear is rod, rotted. Um, remember that kind of happened to Robin and Marion, remember the opening and closing of the oh apples. No. <laughs> so from this Ridley Scott actually wanted to make, uh, he was going to stay in this Is this, this lane. He was going to make Tristan and Isolde next. And uh, mm-hmm. then then supposedly he saw Star Wars. And what's funny is Tristan and Isolde was finally made, his version of it was made that he produced in 2006 with James Franco and Sophia Miles, directed by Kevin Reynolds. Ah. One of your favorites, or not no, favorites, I but don't... someone you admire.
1: Do I? what, what makes you think I admire Kevin Reynolds? We brought it up on the Kevin Costner. Well, no, like, I mean no, I always just say he's his buddy and he's his partner. I don't I think Kevin Reynolds is solid. No, I know he's he's a really he's, he's, he's worthy of examining. I it
0: like bad. Kevin Reynolds, Dad. <laughs> I, I didn't realize I thought you liked him too. Well, no, you
1: mean he's like a, he's one of my big heroes. I I I don't Okay. Know, I, All right. I over I oversold that. Yeah, but. you oversold that one. But uh well, you know, what, and of course we can't forget. Forget, it, you know, he was going to work on Dune. That was, you know, really. Well, Dune
0: cool. is going to come up next week. We're going to talk a little bit. Uh, spoiler for those uh, who are, are weekly listeners: uh, next week's episode <laughs> is going so to be out there. So. Yeah, the, the two of you out there. Uh, Dune is going to be next week's episode, so uh-huh. we're going to definitely dun, talk dun, dun, about dun. quite a bit about Ridley Scott's version, amongst other. Not a bit, because yeah. there's not a ton out there. And about John got a feature film
1: on, on his version.
0: <laughs> yes, this is all going to be on next week's episode. <laughs> oh, sorry. Preview. <laughs> well, we didn't really talk much of the new one, the last new. Oh, uh, we, hey, we, I'm I'm a little wary just because uh, uh, I, my spoiler strategy so far, philosophy so far, has been statue of limitations, and this is a newer one. But at the same time, should we just put a spoiler warning for last? Well, right I now? think
1: you almost can figure. In fact, I think somebody said I knew where this is heading, or you, or like they thought the. Uh, So that the third part was redundant because we knew exactly. Well, my
0: my issue with the movie, which took me a while, is like the first third is really dry. And and there's a there's a piece of it. There's a moment of energy where like towards the end of the first section where I realized, oh, we're going to be seeing this three times. That's where I was like, okay, I'm into the movie. But before that point, I wasn't feeling it. By the way,
1: speaking of uh, Ridley and his and how prolific he is and his look of his films. Have do you think he now relies too much on uh, using computers to make the color palette of the film. Well, yeah, uh, the, I mean, I mean, it's 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 quick and easy, but his films now have all these moody looks, and now I'm almost thinking it's not because of the uh, you know physical lighting; it's because of the
0: no, it's physical lighting. So film stocks or specific color temperature things he's doing. I think I don't know, I, I, mean, I mean, there seems to be a single a lot of times single color like like Last Duel is very blue. Yeah,
1: it's just like oh gosh, I mean, so blue. So uh, this this kind of color tone deal he goes with in a lot of his films. I'm just like, I don't know And a lot of and the directors use it as shortcuts. I'm not saying he it's, does. it's
0: tricky. Cause it, when it works, I mean um, the Martians, I think kind of read, but read on purpose. Yeah.
1: So yeah. Forget about that. Mad Damon film that he did. Yeah. Uh, he's just, he's, all, he, and then, he's he, done a lot. He's yes, done a lot. After, um, no, I thought that I, it's, this is, um, this is, uh, it, one, I, I walked out going, I liked this film a lot. It makes you think, and it's obviously... Uh, this
0: movie grew after I, I thought more about it. It's, it. it's definitely one of those ones I thought about a lot. It's after. a very Me Too movie. It's a very Me Too, Too movie, a, movie. Yeah. Uh,
1: if, if that's something you're interested in. But uh,
0: the, okay, so we've already put the spoiler warning. Um, one of the things that you and I, I don't know if we were on the same page about, that I found on about the movie is, um, you see the first section, you see the, accusi- is the, the rape accusation for Adam Driver's character happens. Um, second section, you see it from his point of view. Third section, you see it from her point of view. In both those two, where you see it, to me, it felt like a rape both times. It was so weird that because and and when we ended up talking about, it, we were talking about Adam Driver is so charming in his section. He's the hero of his section, and it seems odd that he goes to like he's like, "I love you, I love you," and then he put forces itself on her.
1: Yeah, I didn't. I, uh, I I didn't really buy that too but also it seems like he might be a wolf in sheep's clothing uh, and the, uh, uh he that that's ho- true his whole personality is, is a is a facade that we we all get sucked into and
0: and, the, and, the, and this goes away saying uh, your other reaction which i wholeheartedly agree with adam driver is really just one of our most watchable oh, actors so american watch- actors right now
1: you just you just can't he's just so fun to watch uh his choices and what he does his, his choices
0: are always to feel right yeah
1: and uh so i don't know it's really um uh but it's it is worth it's i, I, I don't let any stupid headlines uh sway from watching this and seeing it it's uh, um I, and I, I think even like you know even with the robin hood or exodus the ones you haven't seen it and the ones i kind of go eh, they're always worthy I and mean, he's got such great cast and such great looking films um, to my, I subscribe to my theory where even the uh, directors that you like is, is weak films are always interesting too. I don't even think
0: this is a weak film. No, no, this I, one I, isn't. No, I forgot I, to mention one of my favorite little details is uh, for, appearing in both movies is Notre Dame. And like you get to see Notre Dame getting built in this, which is
1: kind of, of course, timely because of what, uh, what happened to Notre Dame recently. And, and oh yeah, I didn't think of
0: that. And the plague
1: is mentioned uh, several times. I didn't catch the. Oh yeah, they they had. They, oh yeah, he died of the plague and stuff like that.
0: So you know. No, I didn't draw the parallels. Well, the pandemic, you know, plague. And That's it, what I mean. I yeah. didn't draw the parallels. Just it,
1: it seems like a lot of the. Film, I mean, the bond.
0: I, I drew more parallels in the Bond movie than it, I did in the this.
1: Bond film. the Dune. All of these films have uh, these really weird parallels uh uh being delayed and coming out with the, uh, with the midst of this pandemic going on it's just really strange um but uh did you um do you think this gets some it's gonna get some flack because it's, you know it's the it's the affect the demon uh Team up. Uh, we haven't. Had I, a I think while.
0: the one narrative that I thought was coming out that was nice, positively, which was one of the things that made me think, well, I should get around to seeing this. Is I think Ben Affleck's performance in this is getting called out properly as like it's one of the it's and the thing is it's not like a great performance. It's just this mixture of like casting and it's just he's so entertaining to watch in this movie. I love Ben Affleck in this movie.
1: Uh, somebody was thinking, uh I was talking to Steve Harholds. Uh-huh. He, he he said. Him and his other friend, uh, were uh, they, they loved it when the King came on, the young King. And and they were laughing all the time. The audience was going to kick out of the King. Uh, getting... our,
0: our audience, and I don't remember having a reaction to No, it. not
1: really. Um, but um, I want to say, do you think it's interesting that Matt and it's a script by Matt. They, it comes from Matt and Ben originally, right? And then they brought in Nicole.
0: Yeah. Uh, Matt Damon, I think, read the book, the nonfiction book.
1: Okay. Oh, it's a nonfiction book. Yeah. So he, they read this and they think this is a really, we could take this film. Here's my uh, one little theory of mine uh, that we could make this a very topical film, but have fun being uh, knights in a medieval setting. Who could we direct that would be apropos for this? They get they, they go to Ridley Scott and then they get Nicole to do the female version, the perspective. And there you got a nice little interesting brew. I mean, in almost
0: it very, very. Um, I don't know how the timeline would work because I mean, really, Scott's also one of those. I mean, uh, yeah, where well, his schedule's open or whatever. He's he's so much. You look at it, what he's maybe doing next. You know, he might be doing finally doing his Gladiator sequel next. Is one of the things I heard or read him say. But um, I I don't know the timeline of that just because I don't know when Nicole Hollis Center was brought in. Whether really Scott like committed. I don't know what the timeline. Oh, uh, here's a good
1: here's a good example of how fast really is. The whole Kevin Spacey debacle.
0: This. Uh, that is just, I couldn't believe. All the Money in the World and uh, Last Duel are both edited by a uh, friend of the show. Not friend of the show, friend of mine, Claire Simpson. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Uh, does she, she give you insight to what? No,
0: I, I, I should say friend. We haven't talked in a while. But she, um, she edited uh, the All the Money in the World stuff super fast because they shot like, it was like, a, when I finally saw the movie, it's like a, like a third of the movie or fourth of the or. It's a lot. You
1: you when you see a really Scott film, you don't you're not thinking fast. You're not thinking uh, uh, taking cheap uh, taking the cheap route. You know, uh, uh, budget cuts or whatever. You're, you're thinking you're seeing a giant A quality film, and see that turnaround and get Christopher Plummer in those scenes and have it out almost basically when they wanted it out. Well, we it's we got into this a little shock. bit on
0: our, our counselor episode where he was talking about don't have um, uh, one of the big things in production that takes a long time is uh, production moves where you have to shoot two locations in one day. And so he was like, "Just make sure your set is. You can do two different sets out of one thing. Turn the camera around. We have the other set set up.
1: Exactly. Yeah. He, so, I mean,
0: he's got efficiency stuff. Like he he's almost got it down to a. a it is a science. Skill set. It yeah, almost, it uh, is a skill set of his. Yeah, it is a skill set, so that he can
1: he can he can pull this off. Whereas you know another like uh, I don't know, Scorsese. I don't know. I, I I I mean, some of these guys. It seems like the you gotta kind of ramp, ramp up to it. Well, that, that's fine. And really, it really just go He's just going ding, 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 ding. You know, to, to each
0: their own. Yeah, so no, to, I love Scorsese. No, whatever, not, whatever works mo- works yeah, most effectively. Because if
1: Marty ever hears this, I don't want him to think back. Mar- I love you, Marty. I love you. Scorsese
0: just shot hundred days on Killers of the Flower Moon in Oklahoma. So. Yeah, so yeah. I I, I I don't know how long Ridley really Scott's shooting so.
1: But yeah, it's just, I just, I think it's just, we're just amazed by if you look at his filmography and the, and, the, and how prolific he is and the quality he maintains, it's just amazing.
0: I think the John Ford thing applies because I think it's the Spielberg too, where you, you go back to their filmography and you forget how many yeah, and, they made of a certain quality level. They've, and the I thing think it's up, when really Scott dies, we're all going to be like, G- I can't believe he made this many. I
1: get upset with this whole Spielberg backlash. I don't understand why some people have ignored him or dug him or. Whatever I, I, you start racking up all these later day films, and I, I'm I'm enjoying them all. I, I don't know what the, the deal
0: the, is. The lesser films are in a vacuum. But it's, uh, the best film of another person's filmography yeah. by far.
1: So, uh, but yeah, we'll have to do one on Spielberg at some time. Obviously,
0: oh, we got the one planned from before the oh. end of the year. Tonight, tonight. Now there's another well, setup for.
1: Then, 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 then.
0: So. Uh last well, duel I don't know when last duel is going to be available for it's it's already left theaters in Evansville.
1: Yeah. Uh but the duelist is available in all kinds of places. Uh did you see where I watched it?
0: <laughs> where would you watch it? I
1: couldn't find the ding I couldn't find my dang <laughs> DVD and I didn't I don't think I bought that new Blu-ray. It's already out of print. I'm really shocked, the yeah. new Blu-ray is? It's like $85 in the, the market now. I
0: watched it on Canopy.
1: I watched it. Uh, I actually just pulled the trigger and and paid for it and watched it on YouTube.
0: (laughs) Wow. Uh, canopy, uh, is up there with hoopla as one of those services that if you have a library card, you can watch movies for free. It
1: wouldn't let me, I couldn't get my card to work. Uh, I tried to get in there.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, were, were, were you watching this? uh I don't think anybody from work, your work's going to be listening to this. Did you watch this at work, or did you watch this? Yeah, I had
1: to go place. where so I had to go somewhere. I had internet. I mean, Cause I you don't
0: because you famously don't have internet. At your but house.
1: no, but I, 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 they, you know, type in your ca- your card number and everything, and I and uh there, I
0: had, to, I there was a few hoops I had to jump through, but I could. I, I, I
1: have to see if I can get mine to work because that sounds like a cool cool deal.
0: Yeah, twenty. Well, I mean, hoopla's also it works really well too.
1: Well, I remember at one time about uh we were all everybody was just crazy about ridley and now he's kind of like oh another Ridley scott film da, 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 da. you know but it's we should you should be probably we should be more attentive
0: yeah um but uh last duel whenever it's available check it out the duelist is or i i think it's a great movie but it's also just one of uh, our boldest artists first thing that he comes out I don't, again not fully foreign but still impressive
1: yeah, so there's a lot to di- digest there, and they have got a great cast to watch. So,
0: All right. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Did you have anything else?
1: No. Uh, go see Dune.
0: Next week's episode, go see Dune. <laughs>